1: We've got some very cool special guests including musical acts that we all love like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.
2: Hello. We're live. We're here. It's been it's been a couple of weeks, you know, it's it's long, long gaps in the winter without doing any of these live episodes. Um, and in the absence of goose shows, we did have a, a pretty significant, I'd say a uh, couple of Rick shows this weekend. Uh, he joined for now the third time uh, joined Phil Lesh and friends this time uh, venturing to Denver to the mission ballroom for two nights. Um, we had um, always almost there. Co-host Kev uh, attended the first night uh, of the run. Unfortunately, He's not able to make the pod today, but we had uh, the illustrious Mr. Brian Brinkman of HF Pod mm. and Beyond the Pond and other intelligent music podcasts here, who <laughs> was there last night. I was, yeah. Hi, Brian.
1: Really... Hi, Hi, Ryan. How are you?
2: I'm fantastic. How are you?
1: It's great. I Anytime I have a chance to kill an hour or maybe two, I don't know how long we're going to go on this, but with you <laughs> talking about... Goose and Fish and music in general. Uh, I'm, I'm always game for, so I'm really happy to join you today.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I, you know what? I'm pretty sure this is your first time as a guest on Always Almost There. So that's, that's significant.
1: I think it really comes down to the fact that I send you blistering hot takes via text about the Goose Jam Bracket, and you just yeah. won't let me on to talk about it. So I'm just going to hijack this time <laughs> to say how did... How did you people not put the Glens Falls Maduvan in the jam bracket? It is one of the best jams of the year. It is absolutely mind-blowing to me that it's not even in the bracket. Just not even in the bracket. Thank you. Hey, That's all I have to say.
2: I ranked it. Blame the blame the community who all you did. who didn't rank it. So <clears throat> Let's let, let's talk about these Phil shows. We're going to do we'll, we'll do some <laughs> bracket talk uh, towards the end, of course. We can't have an episode without a little bit of bracket can't talk. Take- but first night, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna spend a little more time talking about last night because that's the one you were in attendance for. But first night, I, you know, it was interesting um, because because I was at Fish um, at the end of December. Oh yes, sorry, you, you're blaming the wrong person. You're bl- you got to blame.
1: Fish. <laughs> this is true. I gotta gotta get to the, the
0: hotline.
2: Um, it was interesting you know approaching this with um, Jason Crosby on Keys instead of Medeski, who I'd seen in October and I know Crosby and Holly Bowling had played with this lineup in um, in December at the warfield uh, but obviously I was at fish and didn't uh, watch those shows you know we didn't have a recap for those um, but it, it, it was it was good on the first night it felt like it took a little while for them to settle in I think by the time they hit that China Cat new Speedway you um, Towards the end of the first set, really, really excellent stuff happening. You know, you could see Kev, who was like three rows back uh, in the crowd. You could see him on the webcast pretty clearly. Tall guy blocking the view of hundreds behind him as <laughs> as he does. Um, but that was great. Uh, our first David Crosby tribute cover of the weekend in Long Time Gone, which I thought was really good. Um, and really, you know, the help slip half-step Franklins uh, in the second set was just Really, really amazing stuff. You know, Rick getting to sing Help on the Way and Half Step. You know, obviously his ship of fools early on in the first set. Also excellent. Um, you know, I, I think, we're, again, we're going to talk about this when we talked about last night, but Rick's being underutilized vocally in this lineup. Um, very much so. And I know that there are a few incredible vocalists on stage. Then there are a couple of not as incredible vocalists. Um, but, <laughs> you know... Like, We'll get to that, um, but let, let's let's talk about last night, Brian. I know you've been to the Mission Ballroom a good amount as somebody who lives in Denver. Uh, but talk about you know getting in the pre-show vibe. What what was it like?
1: It was great. I mean the 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 Mission Ballroom opened in summer '19. The first show I saw there was a tab show. That was my first tab show uh, in. I think 15, 16 years at that point in time. I was like five rows back. The sound is amazing. The They have figured out this thing that it seems just like a massive challenge for so many venues across the country. You could be in the middle of the floor, in the middle of a GA floor at the Mission Ballroom and go either to your left or your right to go and get drinks or go to the bathroom and be back in your spot in five minutes. There's just the, the crowd management, the ease of – people where they're they're congregating. Uh, It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite venues to go to. It's just the perfect size. Feels like a big room, but it's really like a small, confined amount of people. But um, I saw Goose close their fall 2021 tour there, and they sold out both nights, Sunday and Monday night. You could tell how excited they were coming in on a Monday night to another packed house. Um, Getting in is pretty seamless. I hear they
2: played a good Arcadia on that Monday show.
1: Oh, my God. And that Arcadia, I just want to note, as we get into the set list here, I I had a callback to that Arcadia during a certain moment in this show where I I felt like I was back in that jam. It was incredible. And it was all Rick led. Um, But, you know, in terms of the mission, it's in this kind of industrialized part of denver it's being built up there's a ton of restaurants that are going to go in the the area right around there there's a bunch of apartments so it still feels very much under construction but once you're in it's a pretty seamless process in it's an open room all ga seating i grabbed some seats with my wife and another couple that we went with uh up top uh trevor side just a little bit kind of on an angle back so we had seats um we had the ability to kind of see over everyone we had nobody in our way great view of the light show and even when you're in the back of the room at the mission it's just one of those venues that like you feel every note you feel everything throughout the entire venue there's no kind of dead sound spot in it so just from an aesthetic standpoint obviously it takes a long time for Phil and friends to get on stage. The room was full for a good hour before they walked out, but great music, great little video show, uh, for the, for the audience, just like a really fun chill hang beforehand.
2: Love it. Yeah. They, they, they went on very, very late on uh Saturday night. They, they actually, I, I turned on the webcast like four minutes into shakedown street last night because I was expecting them to go on. Around it was about 20 time. minutes
1: earlier last night, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, they, they went on 50 minutes after ticket time on Saturday, which you know, we're like, we're making jokes like, now we know which member of Goose is the problem. Like, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, last night, they last night they went on a punctual 30 minutes, um, after ticket time fantastic shakedown street opener um oh, yeah. you know obviously I, I missed the first few minutes but <laughs> the i i caught all the solos which is really the the important part um jason crosby threw in a nice little stash tease in his solo which um i know lgoose.net is not a phil Lesch and friends database site but the tease has been noted
1: <laughs> because <laughs> well done.
2: i can't well done.
1: not you cannot. you have to yeah
2: but yeah, yeah what, it was, what, what was that like? It,
1: It was a good opener. I mean, I think, you know, just looking from a general standpoint, the set list was really strong. It was a ton of bangers. Um, I was texting with some friends who used to see Phil Lush a lot in like the mid 2000s when there were a ton of um, uh, like Ryan Adams covers and stuff thrown in and a lot of like late era Phil songs. Like it feels like now he's playing these scattered shows, artists like rick you know joining him for these who are clearly excited for the opportunity to play grateful dead songs with a living member of the grateful dead especially phil lesh who had such an incredible impact on like the peak period of the grateful dead in the early 70s his bass does everything in those jams so to have that opportunity like you want to play big grateful dead songs and so to open with shakedown big callback to huge dead shows from the 80s and 90s i loved it james casey's vocals like I mean I knew the guy was an incredible singer but to hear mm-hmm. him sing Jerry lines and to hear him add his own flavor to kind of the ends of, of, of a line or to, to various verses to do a call and response with the crowd in a way that didn't feel cheesy at all like it was just it was it was a special kind of kickoff to it everybody got like a roundabout solo and did, did a nice job of setting the table for where the evening was going to go and leading us in the sugary
2: yeah, and your your point about um, your point about James's vocals on this song is one of the reasons why J Rad has also been such a success because not all the members of J Rad are lifelong Deadheads, you know. Right. They like a couple of them are, but they they discovered the material later, and so learning it and playing it, they put their own flavor on it as opposed to just trying to be faithful to Jerry or the original material. And so I feel like the Tab Horns fill a similar role. You know the three of them. Um, you know they've been playing with Trey for a really long time, but they you know barely even know the fish like what what fish does, right? Right. So, right. 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 Um, it's it's interesting to hear them put their own flavor on it, and yeah, and James, I, whose vocals I think are very underutilized with Tab. Uh, fun fact for anybody who doesn't know, he was actually the original vocalist of Soul Planet uh, in 2017 before Fish that. debuted it. Yeah, if you go back and listen to some the fall 2017 um, uh, versions of Soul Planet played by Tab, uh, James sings it. It's really cool. And then Fish started playing it, and Tab hasn't played it since.
1: Mm, So interesting.
2: I I wonder if that's a touchy subject, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) touchy subject for a lot of people. I mean, I think you know, just jumping ahead, like his his singing on Eyes of the World. You know, that is as canon as it gets. For for Grateful Dead, that is, you know, you take a percentage of the fan base, I think you're probably pushing upwards of 50, 60% who would call that the best Grateful Dead song ever. And so it's the kind of thing that like when you reinterpret it, it's it's a very sensitive type of issue. For me, listening to him, it, it almost made me hear that song as well as the one that followed this, you know, we'll get to this in the second set, but it almost made me hear these songs in a completely different light because the vocalist was putting their own stamp on it in a way that gives you this sense. I got this a lot last night. Like there's a reason why the grateful dead legacy lives on through the members who are still alive as well as cover bands, because when you're in a room with a group of people, it's a very, very simple idea, but just hearing their music, Mm -hmm. it just, it it conveys uh, a, a touchstone to larger American musical history, but it also is this vibe that is just, it's replicable and it's, it's, it's reinterpreted and it's, it's, it works in a way that um, I don't know, it, it allows for your own, uh, your own uh, kind of touch to it in the same way that like um, stay like traditional standard folk songs, you know, you know, they, you want to play the songs, the chords, right. But you want to give your own spin, your own touch to it. The same way that jazz works. It really showcases how much uh, the Grateful Dead is just like an institution of American culture.
2: Very well said. So speaking of, putting their own spin on the vocals back to the first set. We've got sugary. um, You know, we've got a little bit of vocal trading on this one. Natalie takes the first verse uh, sounds excellent. Um, You know, great, great solos on this one. You know, I I felt that Rick definitely got um, a good amount of guitar spotlighting um, over these two shows this weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, felt like he, he was more at the forefront musically than he had been in October. Um, but vocally he's still, you know, obviously as we mentioned, uh, should be singing more songs. Like I'd love to yeah. hear him sing high time, you know, thank you. Came to play <laughs> grandma on high time changed my life. What kind of change? <laughs> That's what I want to know. What kind of change?
1: <laughs> well, there's a lot there. And, 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 you know, I think to your point about the, like the initial vocals, um, I thought Natalie crushed the first set and I was, I was really excited for her to take the song just based on her, uh, the way that her, uh, the way that she sang. And then Jen comes in and Jen just has this like very natural, you know, theatrical, almost operatic voice that like for a second, I was like, man, very powerful and like she can just hit these like dirty low notes that like just scream kind of 2 a.m at a blues bar type of thing and but at the same time she's never losing uh uh she's never she's never going out of tune she's just you know she she sings it in this very organic but beautiful way it was it was interesting to hear her take the second verse and then like it go back to natalie and it I mean, Natalie was great, but like Jen, like really took this song in a, in a powerful direction. But from a soloing standpoint, you know, I think that there comes a point and then anyone who gets into the Grateful Dead where like for like a three week stretch of time, you think that sugary is the greatest song that's ever been written. And like, you listen to like 1977 versions and you're just like, there, there's nothing like, else that needs to happen in music. You live, other inside,
2: than you live inside 15 minutes of Jerry playing sugary and you're like, wow, yeah. how does it get better than this?
1: It, and it, and it like you know fishes like Downward disease works in this manner um like goose has you know uh you know type one segments of jams that like really showcase rick's uh guitar technique and they never leave the key of 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 where the band is at and you almost don't need them to you know Downward disease sometimes obviously has huge uh, type two jams um but down with disease will have these great type one versions where all you need to do is live in the world of down with disease and sugary is like that. Just like times 10, I don't ever need sugary to go into a dark spacey area. I like, I just need like yeah. 25 minutes of that zone. And you got that throughout this, they were passing around solos. It was really nice. And it was really kind of the first time where you heard Rick, he had a solo in shakedown, but there was a moment in sugary where it was like, okay, you're feeling more comfortable and you're feeling like you can put your imprint on this. Um, I felt it was it was interesting, like his uh, I didn't see his pedal board, but it was clear that it was very like slim down compared to yeah. what he usually travels with. A lot of the the Rick to- uh, toys that you hear throughout kind of the weird jams of winter 2022, you weren't hearing any of that come out. It was very um, I'm going to, you know, kind of bow down to the greatness of the Grateful Dead, and I'm going to just try to play my guitar in as pure a way as possible, much the same way that. Trey approached fairly well back in 2015.
2: Yeah, I also find that when playing the music of the Grateful Dead, you need a lot less, or you don't need, but there's a lot less um, time where you're, like, I feel like you're inclined to use heavier effects um, and stuff like that. You know, I, I think with, with Goose, like, he has all these different reverbs and delays and looper pedals and what and what have yeah. you. Um, that's not really necessary with the music of the dead. Like, for me, like, if I'm if I were to be playing keyboards in a, in a fish or goose cover band, I'd be like, okay, I want, you know, I want to have piano. I want to have organ. I want to have electric piano. I want to have clav. I want to have some synths, like whatever for the grateful dead. I piano, electric piano and organ. Right. 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 right, right, Like that's it. 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 So
1: there's,
2: there's less you need because as you mentioned, like some of the music is more inside the box, but the outside the box stuff doesn't like, like,
1: it's letting the instruments get you outside the box rather than any sort of effects. Exactly. Which being you know in my 30s and you know mm-hmm. growing up with fish and now goose, I'm drawn to those effects because that's part of like the modern technology that like I see music in. But when I listen to Grateful Dead, you know you go to some of those like '73 playing in the bands, Dark Stars. They're not putting any effects on anything, and they're just getting as far out into the outer reaches of music as possible. And I think that there's,
2: Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And I, but I think, you know, I was, I was, I was thinking a lot last night, just, you know, I focused the majority of my, my viewing on Rick's performance. It seemed like a really cool challenge for him to play these songs that are hyper complicated in terms of like their melody and in terms of their rhythm and in terms of how they flow, but not having their not having the ability to rely on any sort of effects to allow him to push for, further. And so that allowed him to, um, you know, really showcase his straightforward, just like guitar riffing, but also what he could get out of his own immediate tone.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, that, was a, that was a really good tangent, I think.
1: <laughs> I like him.
2: Next I up, like we get tangent. Deep Ellen Blues, more of this great vocal trading. I really, really enjoyed uh, this one. You know, not, not a super common... A uh, song that the Dead played, I don't think. But, you know, I love when they'll really take a song like this out for a walk. Uh, really excellent rendition. And then we get Rick singing Wolf, which was amazing. Very happy to hear that. Um, and then I, I feel like the first, like, significant improv of the night we yes. get in the wheel here. Yeah. And I know, like, it, you you have a lot to say about this wheel.
1: Yeah. this So this is my favorite Grateful Dead song. Um, and when I looked at the set list for the night before, I was... I was, I was sad not to get a help slip, Franklins. I was sad not to get a dark star, but I was pleased that they did not play the wheel. Um, I have seen Grateful Dead entities, you know, probably somewhere in the five to ten range. I, I really don't go out to see a ton of like Grateful Dead, like Offspring type of shows. Um, I listen to the Grateful Dead a lot, and so I've never actually seen—I've uh, never actually seen them play the wheel. And once I caught them, like getting into it i just i lost it yeah (laughs) um fill on the vocals you know it's a song about aging and it's a song about time just going on regardless of us and this this unending process and it's a song that i think only the grateful dead could have written and to hear him singing it just shy of his 83rd birthday when he's you know he's still totally with it. He's still totally physically able to do this. Like there wasn't, I mean, the music of the dead is slower now than it was in the past. And it was always slower than like some of the music we're accustomed to in this jam band world now, but I never felt like anyone had to like take a step back to, you know, accompany Phil's playing. plane. So like he's still playing the music in, in such a, an inspired way. And hearing him sing those lyrics with the tab horns and then it go off into this jam, and Rick really take control of this jam, you know there's a moment where they're playing a wheel in, in improvisational segment, and he throws these kind of minor keyed licks in that mm-hmm. my first thought was the eleven twenty two twenty one Arcadia where it just felt like it it reached into that place of you know he he found a melody that will tug at your heartstrings in a way that goose is so good at doing. And the entire band followed him. It was, it was the first moment where it felt to me as though Rick wasn't, uh, kind of looking for approval to do something. He just went with an idea. Yeah, He was just doing it. And everyone else said, cool, man, we're following you. And that, you know, there's an element of these shows that almost feel, like a networking event for Rick. Like he's in, he's, he's, he's in front of this crowd that may not necessarily have been bought into goose may not necessarily have been exposed to goose. And if you see him in the right setting here, it's going to, you know, really help to continue to expand their fan base and create an element of credibility around the music that they play for a very established older crowd of people that still go to these shows. And it felt like the moment where it was like, this is no longer Rick, playing the music of the Grateful Dead and complimenting it. This is Rick putting his imprint on the music of the Grateful Dead and the music of the Grateful Dead following him for a short period in time. And I just, that's, that's it, dude. Like that's, that's why I went to the show that right there.
2: Yeah, no, and you're, you're absolutely right. As I, as I said before, his, his guitar contributions to the band um, and leadership uh, over the last two nights was really excellent. And yeah, while he may not have sang as many songs we probably would have liked You know, every time the camera panned past him while he was playing, he was like, he's in the zone. You know, Rick doesn't generally, you know, smile or react a ton while playing, even with Goose. But here you could tell he was like in the zone. He was like ready to do it. Now, I don't know how many of the, you know, 4,000 or whatever people at the mission, like if you're a deadhead living in Denver at this point, I don't know how it's possible to not have been exposed to Goose based on how much they've played there. Um, but, you know, it's it's possible. It's, it's, it's entirely possible. Then the first set I mean, closes... Oh, yes.
1: I, I was just going to say, I think that they're at this unique place where, you know, they keep getting... Um, they keep winning over fans, you know, with, with each of these steps forward, but they're still at a place where you can still avoid them in a way that if you're in the jam scene, you can't really avoid fish. And then there was a certain point where you couldn't avoid fish. And it was, it was, this is what, what the next thing is. I feel like goose is right on the cusp of that, but you're right. Like they come through here a lot. There's a ton of grateful dead adjacent stuff. I cannot imagine. This is the last time that we're going to hear Rick with this lineup in Denver. So my hope is that, you know, they, this could be a great show at uh, Broomfield at some point here in the future.
2: Ooh, that could would be cool first set closes with uh david crosby cover laughing um you know very nice you could tell fit. phil was very emotional um at separate both nights um after paying tribute to Crosby. um interesting tidbit for anybody who didn't know more of a, a bobby cross fun fact than a phil one but david crosby actually wrote the uh guitar riff of playing in the band
1: Oh, really? I didn't know that.
2: Um, yeah, Bobby said this. I, I was watching one of his streams in like 2020 when he was doing from TRI Studios or Tri or whatever it is. Um, and he was like, you know, fun fact, David Crosby actually wrote this guitar lick.
1: And then, <laughs> that's crazy.
2: I don't remember if it was, if it was Jesse Jarno or someone who, who maybe was like, that's not true. Like <laughs> Bobby doesn't know what he's <laughs> talking about. so
1: <laughs> They never do. They never do. You never trust Trey with any sort of fish dates. And I'm sure in 20 years, Rick or Peter are going to completely screw up goose history as well.
2: Yeah. Luckily we're now in a very, uh, we're now in a time when everything is much more documented than it was in like the (laughs) sixties. So, you know, hopefully in 20 years, you know, we can be like, no Rick, that's that's not correct. (laughs) So anyway, second set, uh, we get a a St. Stephen's sandwich with eight miles high in the middle. Um, interesting
1: yeah i mean this is uh, you know saint stephen seems to find it seemed to find himself itself in a ton of sandwiches in the late 70s and and the 80s when they brought it back um i mean this second set you know we'll get into it but like this is an entire set of bangers yeah and you know re- Phil takes very long set breaks. It was at least 50 minutes before they walked back on stage. They kept showing them just hanging out backstage. Yeah, I, I love
2: I love when they do that. It's like, okay. like
1: They're just know, like hanging around, there, having a beer. Like, all right, guys, come on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they came on and there was like a little bit of ambiance and they jump into St. Stephen. And, you know, it's one of those songs that, um, you know, it – and this happened throughout the entire second set every single person in the audience from you know your biggest deadhead to your kind of casual new they they all know this song they know the lick everybody freaks out and there's like moments in the song where every single person is shouting back at the stage Mm -hmm. uh song you know uh, lyrics to them and um i thought it was a really cool jam went into eight miles high uh really nicely it was kind of the first moment where I remember looking over at the tab horns and kind of wondering like what was going on. They tried to interject some horns and then the band decided to take, uh, the jam into a different direction, which I guess is what was leading them into eight miles high. Um, it felt, you know, the, the, the drawback of these shows is that I can't imagine there's a ton of rehearsal time. There's probably a lot of individual rehearsal time, a lot of planning around the set list. And then you get up there and you're both supposed to, you know, solo and improvise, but also get to these other songs that everybody's practiced and ready to go.
2: Right. From there, we get into we get into the meat from here.
1: This is all and just this, this is like is an hour moment. and a half of amazing
2: yeah. like, okay. music. This is Let's start with the scarlet eyes here. Yeah. Okay. The scarlet we get scarlet. Rick's singing scarlet. Uh, you know, he sang it in October. We knew it was gonna be awesome, and then proceeds to just rip it, you know, like. I, I love Rick singing Grateful Dead tunes, whether it's like Broke Down and Ship of Fools or Scarlet. He just sounds so good uh, singing these songs. Um, but yeah, th- this, this Scarlet is amazing. Then it leads into Eyes. And as you mentioned before, uh, James Casey's vocals, just like Shakedown, he's putting his own flavor in it. And it's just amazing. And then this Eyes jam, he gets into, he, he busts out the soprano sax. Um, and is doing some like really cool stuff But it, the, the eyes was a James Casey highlight. You know, it was his birthday on Saturday night, um, big 40 for James. Um, and just, he was, he was on fire all weekend, but especially in that eyes.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the Scarlet goes into a bit of the 11, which is a favorite of mine um, to get that it, it kind of added a little bit of darkness to the overall Scarlet. Um, I thought we were going to get a fire at some point, but um, uh, you know, that's just like kind of set listing aspects. It was it, it Scarlet when it, when you nail the solo, kind of the same way that like. When Trey nailed the hunger sight solo with Goose, like there are just certain moments and songs where like you have to really come to bat for this solo. And when uh, Rick nailed it in in Scarlet, it was a huge moment. But Eyes, I got big uh, Nassau nineteen ninety type of vibes from it. Uh, Branford Marsalis, like the 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 way that James Casey added his own touch to it, it, it it diverted the song, it changed the song, but it also felt a part of dead history. Um, and then we go into Stella Blue uh which you know I've a dog named Stella Blue this is a very like this is an amazing moment for me to get this song and um you know Jen completely reshapes what is possible within this song like her vocals especially towards the end like i mean it's a powerful dark haunting song that really was only done best when Jerry's voice was somewhat broken in the late 80s and early 90s, and you heard the mm-hmm. pain and like the suffering in him, she added that completely in a way that uh I just I mean I was totally taken by. It was a beautiful performance. The whole venue was going crazy. It 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 really makes you think. Yeah. One of the challenges that Fish has is Their ballads tend to be, okay, I'm going to go take a piss. I'm going to go grab a beer. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to hang out with my buddies here. Right. The the thing that Goose has that they learned from the dead, it seems like, is that the ballads do not need to be a showstopper. When properly listened to, when properly played, they just add to what the show actually is. And Stella Blue right here in the middle of the second set did that.
2: Yeah, and, yeah, and Jen, Jen's vocals are amazing. I actually, I, I forgot that she had sang this one uh, in October and was really excited to hear her on it. Um, I was a little worried that we were going to get a Graham vocal, um, but it, we did not. Um, so Jen was, <laughs> Jen was great. Um, you know, again, with Jen's vocals, like she, they, they, they pick really, really good songs for her to sing. Like when she did, That's What Love Will Make You Do in oh. October, that was phenomenal. I'd love to hear this lineup play that again. Um, I hope we do. Uh, from there, we get another little bit of of jamming in the let it grow. Um, you know, Graham takes this one, but still great song. Um,
1: yeah, this is one of my, yeah. yeah, So Mm -hmm. this and this and the wheel are my two favorite grateful dead songs. So to get them in, uh, in, in each set was, was pretty amazing. Let it grow is a really hard song though. The biggest compliment i can give to graham and i was thinking about this a lot throughout the second set and especially during let it grow um he has played these grateful dead songs more than anyone on that stage aside from phil Lesh and john molo and you can tell that he gets the weird rhythm and the weird timing that comes with how these songs were written um Anyone who plays guitar out there, who plays any instrument, who tries to learn Grateful Dead songs, a lot of the chords are pretty straightforward. And then you start to play them, you start to play them and you're like, I sound so stiff, and this is not how these songs feel. I have no interest in playing this in front of another person ever again. And you listen to this and you get the sense of like, okay, Graham gets it. He gets like how weird this stuff has to be. And him and John going back and forth as they walked up to the chorus and all the weird timing in there, they nailed it. Like for the most part, it was really impressive. The jam off. This was really cool in great fashion. I mean, Let It Grow was one of the greatest jammers that the Grateful Dead had. I thought this was going to close the set just the way that the intensity was towards the end of Let It Grow. Mm Mm-hmm. And they had one more treat in store for us. But they
2: had yeah. one more treat in store. They had one more
1: treat in store. You know, <laughs> you know for obviously
2: so I'm gonna go nuts when the you know, when they play terrapin because it's terrapin. Uh, but then the fact that Rick got to sing uh the first part of the song like that. That I mean, you know, as a goose fan also, that being in the room that must have been very, very special.
1: Yeah, it's you know, terrapin is to the grateful dead what you enjoy myself is to fish. And you know, who, who knows where we go over the next 30 years in terms of fish history and in terms of, you know, are we going to get a Trey and friends type of tour in 2035, where it's Trey playing fish songs with all these musicians who've been inspired by the band. You know, you can imagine people wanting to play you enjoy myself with him and, and, and add their own flavor to it. I have no idea if that's going to actually happen, but like you get that sense with Terrapin. This is a song that like it is a lasting legacy for the Grateful Dead. It's you know their stamp on uh, prog rock. It's their stamp on you know creating this own universe of their own. It's a beautiful lyricized song. The way it builds and ebbs and flows. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And to have Rick be the guy who takes the first couple verses of it. I mean, I'm I'm at a point as a diehard Fish fan and a huge Grateful Dead fan where the band that excites me the most right now is goose and to hear rick put his like like shed his own uh you know um inspiration into a song like this my god
2: yeah it was it was it it was excellent all the feels man yeah especially especially with the the harm the vocal harmonization second half of the song oh yeah beautiful stuff (laughs) yeah then we get another crosby song in the encore uh, very nice you know it's really cool to see especially because i i don't recall you know i, I don't stay that up to date on phil and friends lineups but i don't recall yeah. a lineup getting this many shows um you know together at least in in recent years besides something like the queue um but you know they, they're you know they played in october they played in december they played this past weekend they're playing again in march they're even doing um You know, in in March in Chicago, they're doing two shows with this lineup without Rick um, because, you know, he'll be playing at the cap with Goose, which I'm very, very excited for. Um, (laughs) And it was so funny to me the other day when they announced uh, that Warren Haynes was playing with the lineup um, in March 11th and 12th. And I I was, you know, I I was saying to some people like we live in a world where Warren Haynes is Phil Lesh's second choice after Rick. Like what (laughs) that's awesome
1: so yeah it's really cool i mean his his rise man like we've talked about this off offline but like you know three years ago right now they were opening up for some other jam band on the west coast yeah just some other jam band on the west coast and uh blowing them away every night and you know people like myself were finally becoming hip to the idea of what this band was and realizing that you know, this whole life I'd led catching up to fish, being a two kid, catching up to the Grateful Dead, never having seen Jerry in the flesh, um, to find a band that like seems to have something and seems to be building for the long term, to fast forward three years from now and have them be in a place where Rick is so coveted to play these kind of shows. Um and you know, argument can be made like the tab tour. I mean, that was a much bigger deal for him. That was, uh, it was, it was him really measuring himself in a lot of ways in those jams, uh, against and alongside of Trey, um, not necessarily in like a negative competitive way, but just kind of like, Hey, this is what I can do. Mm -hmm. You show me, you know, you, the expert show me what you can do and let me try to like match you in any sort of way. And he really, you know, lived up to that overall challenge. This is like, This is less like, hey, I'm going to show you all my skills and more am I a part of the legacy of this whole scene and am I a part of what this all means? And I think there's something almost more difficult about that. I kept thinking throughout the show, like, he can't just step – he's the best musician on the stage, okay? Like, legacy-wise, Phil Lesh probably, but, like, Phil Lesh is, you know, uh, diminished, you know, just by age. Like, that's just the reality. Rick is the best musician up on that stage. And yet it never felt like Rick was taking the spotlight away from the rest of the band. And that balance of like hanging in the shadows, showcasing yourself, but not over showcasing yourself is really, really hard to do. And that's beyond talent. That's like, that's where I get the like networking thing where like he has to come away from this winning over people who may not know who he is or may be skeptical of who he is. And I'm totally biased in saying this, but I feel like he did that in droves.
2: Amazing. Yeah, you know, this is also cool because we're going to see him play with a slightly different uh, lineup in March at the cap as well. You know, Medesky's coming back, which is very exciting. Um, But also we've got, you know, they're doing March 15th, 17th, 18th, and 19th at the cap. Um, And we have the tab horns on one night. And then for the other three, I believe we're going to have instead of the three tab horns, there's going to be Nikki Bloom on vocals and Katie Jacoby on violin, Mm, um, which I I think those are when they're playing. Obviously the information is on the internet uh, if you're going to those, but um, I'm looking forward to hearing how that different sound in the lineup uh, helps. And, you know, I'm hoping to see a little more interplay between Rick and Medeski this time around. Um, You know, we had a bit of it in October, but they were still, I think kind of feeling each other out. Um, but th- this is, this is really exciting. It's really cool. Um, you know, we're, we're only a month away from more goose shows now. So very excited. Yeah. What do we it. got
1: five nights at the cap?
2: Well, we've got Okeechobee first, um, on March 3rd. Uh, and then we've got five nights at the cap and then we've got spring tour. Um, very, very excited. Uh, obviously, um, open invitation for people who want to come on these day after shows, uh, the spots are filling up very, very quickly. We're still looking to fill in a lot of the West Coast dates. Um, please shoot us a DM on socials at AAT AATGoosePod. If you would like to be on an episode of Day After Show, um, we want to have lots of different people on because it's, it's fun hearing everybody's uh, thoughts on Goose. Um, and 10 days from now, on February 16th, Thursday, February 16th at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern, we are going to be doing a live talk about the bracket. It will be uh, at the end of the Sweet 16. Um, very, a couple of very, very special surprises in store for that episode. Do not miss it. Put it in your calendar right now, Thursday, February 16th at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. You do not want to miss this episode. It's going to be I, excellent.
1: I won't miss that episode, I promise.
2: Fantastic. And, of course, keep getting involved in the Goose Bracket. We are uh, well into... The second round, uh, we have just started our second region of the second round. Um, votes are going well. Um, people are getting involved. It's a lot of fun. Brian, I, I, I've noticed that you're doing much better than me in the bracket prediction challenge right now. Um <laughs>
1: i read the audience well i uh i read you know what the overall uh mood of 2022 was well and i stand by it the Glens falls maduvan i don't know how more of you didn't recognize that it is one of the greatest moments in goose history it's them embracing fish fall 1994 just dystopian energy it is a step forward for the band and i will sit on this horse until it is fully recognized and and people admit that they overlooked (laughs) greatness.
2: There you go. If you've learned one thing in the last 40 minutes is that you should have put that motto on,
1: on your list. There we go. Kind came to play. You got it. We're right there.
2: There you go. All right. So Brian, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. We're having you on when you see next time you see a goose show.
1: Hopefully in April, still working on the details, but I'm hoping to be at the Seattle shows. So uh, maybe we'll be talking again.
2: Hope so too. Uh, I I hope so. (laughs) Thank you everybody for tuning into this episode of day after show live. We'll see you next week. Hi, this is Henry K host of the number one music history podcast rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios, we are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.
1: Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories, Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.